Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In our program today, we're going to continue with our look at the term, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And for those of you that have been following along with us for the last number of programs, you know that we're in a relatively new teaching series about seven sets of prophetic terms, and we're comparing and contrasting those in preparation for going into an extended series looking at the 30 prophetic events that have yet to take place that are described in the Bible, starting with today and going through the end of Revelation, which would be eternity. And as we've um, prepared um, the overview of those 30 events, it became clear that we needed to have a better foundational understanding of some key prophetic terms that uh, I think a lot of people tend to just read over and say, well, they seem similar, so they must mean the same thing, when in reality they have dramatically different meanings, different uses, and different intent with different outcomes. And we looked at the Son of God versus the Son of Man uh, in our first point of these seven sets. And we are in the uh, latter part of looking at our second set of terms. And, of course, these are on our worksheet that you can download from the radio station website here. We're looking at point number two, the second set of terms contrasting the day of Christ with the day of the Lord. And here, the day of Christ having everything to do with the church, having everything to do with the rapture of the church. The rapture is the day that's being talked about here followed by the Bema Seat judgment and our wedding to Christ and our being with him for eternity in our glorified bodies and then coming back here to the earth to rule and reign with Christ on the earth during his thousand-year millennial kingdom, which is yet to take place on the earth, uh, which is in fulfillment of all those Old Testament blessings and promises to Israel. They will be fulfilled in detail, and Israel will be the preeminent people group on the earth during that millennial thousand-year reign of Christ. Bible is very clear about that. Yes, the church will be here, will be ruling and reigning with Christ in our glorified bodies, but on the earth, Israel will be the focal point, as Israel was originally determined to be way back in the early parts of Genesis. Israel was to be the good news gospel bearer to the world. And of course, they failed to do that, but they will do it right the second time, if you will, during the millennial kingdom. And just very quickly, if you want to look at it, we're not going to go there, but it just crossed my mind to say, go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. 28, verse 1, and it'll tell you that if Israel obeys God, and of course they will, because they'll all be counted as righteous in the millennial kingdom, it says that you will be the preeminent people group on the earth. But we're looking at day of Christ versus day of the Lord, whereas the day of Christ is about the church and about 
the the glorious rapture and and judgment and wedding with Christ uh, that we're looking forward to, and I pray very soon. And it's compared and actually contrasted with the day of the Lord. And if you've been with us for the last several programs, as we've gotten into these scriptures, you know how uh, dreadful, absolutely horrible this time is going to be. Matthew 24 tells us, and we haven't gone there, but just Matthew 24 says that it's a day of tribulation like the world has never seen, nor will it ever see again after it takes place. It's yet future. It's after the church is raptured out, because the purpose of that seven-year tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 9, those great, the great prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel, is all about Israel. There's nothing about the church in any of these prophecies having to do with the tribulation, having to do with the day of the Lord. So we started out with these very <laughs> difficult passages to read because they're so negative, uh, so full of punishment and death and bloodshed and so forth. But it's something that's necessary because in order to be a righteous God, you have to be a just God. Because if you're not just, how can you be righteous? And how can you be righteous and not just? It's a balance, if you will. And as, as, great a, as great as God's righteousness is, so therefore it, great is his justice. And we're certainly seeing that. And this is all directed towards those who choose a lifestyle and a practice of iniquity uh, outside of the love of God. So therefore, God uh, at a point will actually, according to Romans chapter 1, will turn them over to a lifestyle of depravity. You don't start out that way, but he will allow you to descend into a lifestyle of depravity. It's a very clear process laid out there in the latter part of Romans chapter 1, if you want to read that sometime. Uh, kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about here with idol worship and so forth. But these are Old Testament passages. We've been in Isaiah. If you have your worksheets, you can see them clearly there. But we've been in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 21. We've been in Isaiah 13, verses 6 to 13. And then we were in Isaiah 34 in our last program. And we read verses 1 through 8. And we took a little bit of a, a detour, I'm calling it here, because I think it's very interesting to see how the Bible um, answers itself, how the Bible amplifies uh, itself by reading other scriptures, parallel scriptures. And what we did in Isaiah 34, 1 through 8, is we kind of picked up on a phraseology where they talked about Edom, and Edom is an ancient uh, people group. Of course, Edom comes from Esau, from Jacob and Esau. So the Edomites uh, that lived to the south and east of Israel in what is now southern modern-day Jordan, just north of Saudi Arabia. It's a hilly mountainous, actually a mountainous area just east of the Jordan River, therefore east of Israel, where the Edomites lived and it talks about Edom as a area, a geographic area. And then Isaiah 34 also specifically mentions a town called Basra. And we amplified, kind of took off on a sidetrack with that and went to Isaiah 63. Isaiah chapter 63, and we read the first six verses there. 
And there it is another clear description of the day of the Lord. It's actually his coming back, describing the initial stage of, of the Lord's coming back to the earth. And we have been taught um, through Bible studies and so forth and other, other ways, we've been taught that when the Lord comes back, he stands on the Mount of Olives. Well, that's absolutely true. We went to Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, and it says, he will stand on the Mount of Olives when he comes back to judge. And therefore, we have been led to believe that everything starts when he stands on the Mount of Olives. But in actuality, starting in Isaiah 34 and then amplifying in Isaiah 63, we find that the Lord actually starts his punishment. He actually starts his death march, if you will, because a lot of people die uh, as part of his judgment. A lot of unrighteous uh, doers of iniquity die before he ever gets to Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, where he actually steps down onto the earth. So, if you can imagine, when you talk about the rapture of the church, the Lord does not come back to the earth. He comes in the air, in the clouds, and we go up to meet him. So in effect, if you think about being in the clouds, the Lord comes down but doesn't step on the earth at his second coming to the earth, separate from the rapture. This is at the end of the tribulation. He comes down without stepping on the earth, but actually starts judging as he moves north, if you will, up the Jordan River Valley towards Jerusalem. So he starts, and it says specifically in Isaiah 34, and then again in Isaiah 63 at Basra, an ancient city, no longer on the modern day maps, but it's in Edom. And he starts moving north from there. And it says that he will spill the lifeblood of the nations onto the earth. It splatters, it says early on in Isaiah 63, it splatters on his garments. And then later on, it says he spills it on the earth. And it's interesting because it talks about the wine press. Well, what do you press in the wine press? You press grapes. And that is what the term Basra means. The Hebrew meaning of the word Basra is gathering of grapes. So it's a gathering of people to be crushed and their blood literally seeping out from the results of this punishment as the Lord moves north up the Jordan River Valley from Edom in Basra up to Jerusalem. So we see that there, and you think, well, why would the Lord start at Basra? Why didn't he start anywhere else in the world? Why did he start right there? And I mentioned in our last program that we would go to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So if you would, go to the book of Daniel. So if you're grabbing, grabbing pages in the Old Testament there to kind of get uh, situated, you'll find Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations, and then Ezekiel, and finally you'll get to Daniel before you get into the 12 minor prophets, starting with Hosea. So find Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. And Daniel chapter 11 is one of those great prophetic parts of Daniel. Of course, Daniel is basically all prophecy as well as history. And within the history, we get prophecy as well. But in Daniel chapter 11, 
for a good part of the um, first part of Daniel, it's talking about a man called Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was the eighth generation from the Greek general Seleucid. There were four generals that broke up the Greek empire when Alexander the Great died. After he had conquered most of the known world, Alexander died at a very young age in Babylon. And his four generals broke up the Greek empire. And one of those four generals went to roughly what we would call modern-day Syria and started what's called the Seleucid Empire, or the King of the North, and his name was Seleucid. Another one of those four generals went south of Israel to Egypt, and his name was Ptolemy. So you have the Ptolemaic Empire, which is Egypt, and you have the Seleucid Empire, which was principally Syria and Iraq and Lebanon. And the eighth generation from that guy the Seleucid king was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was he is described in detail down to verse 35, verse 35 in Daniel 11. And when you read that, you think, my goodness, this is the Antichrist we're talking about here. He goes into the temple, and of course there was a temple in Jerusalem at this time. At the time of Daniel, it was the temple that was built by uh, Solomon, the first temple. And he goes in and he desecrates it. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 24 specifically relates to Daniel's description here of the abomination that brings desolation. Well, that was um, uh, in the reference to Antiochus Epiphanes, what he did. And this was about, I think, approximately 165 B.C., about 165 B.C. when he did that. So we refer to Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucid Empire and what he did in Jerusalem in the temple as the type and shadow of who will be the real Antichrist yet to come, yet to be revealed. And that real Antichrist will be revealed at the beginning of the tribulation when he makes a treaty with Israel, which we read about also in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, and specifically in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Verse 27, but my reason for bringing you to Daniel chapter 11 relative to the day of the Lord has to do with the description of the real Antichrist yet to come, which begins in verse 36. So Daniel 11, verse 36, as you read through to the end of the chapter through verse 45, it's all about the real Antichrist yet to come. And I want specifically to draw your attention to verse 41, verse 41. And it says, he, referring to the Antichrist during the tribulation, he will also enter the beautiful land. Well, that's a reference to Israel. He will enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. So the Antichrist will be able to conquer a number of countries with his armies and then come into the beautiful land because his ultimate goal is to destroy Jerusalem and the Jews. Because the, the ultimate goal of Satan, who has indwelt the, the, fault, the, um, the Antichrist, uh, Revelation tells him that he, when he is kicked out of heaven, Satan gives his power and his throne and his authority to the Antichrist to destroy Israel. 
So that's his intent. Um, his, his, his actual final goal is to destroy Israel and, and as uh, exemplified by Jerusalem. So it says in verse 41, he will enter also enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand, out of the hand of the Antichrist. And look who they are, Edom, Moab, and the foremost sons of Ammon. If you look on a map of um, the ancient Middle East and you you find Edom, which is where we have been talking about, which is to the south and east of Israel down in modern-day southern Jordan along the Jordan River, the people group that existed just to the north of the uh, Edomites were the Moabites listed right here, Moab. And the people group who had list, who existed in ancient biblical times just to the north of the Moabites were the Ammonites. And you see them right here. All three groups, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites were all mortal enemies of Israel. And God said, I'm going to personally exact my vengeance and my judgment on them. And isn't it interesting that it says that Jesus, when he comes back at his second coming, according to Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 63, will start his judgment, his vengeance, taking of vengeance and the spilling of the lifeblood onto the earth. He will start it in Basra, named for the gathering of grapes. He will start in Basra, his winepress of judgment in Edom, and he will work his way north to Jerusalem. Well, to do that, you have to go through Moab and Ammon. So you see Jesus exacting judgment, exacting his vengeance on these people, just as it's listed here in Daniel chapter 11. So for all the power and all the authority that um, the Antichrist has because, the, because Satan has given it to him in the, in the second half, towards the end of the second half, the end of the tribulation, even with all that authority, he still cannot touch Edom, Moab, and Ammon because Jesus has saved that vengeance for himself. Isn't that amazing to see how that unfolds? And then he will go up and then stand on the Mount of Olives so that Israel can see him as he comes to defend Israel against the armies of the world which have been marshaled up in Armageddon, Har Megiddo, and the Jezreel River Valley, about 50 miles up into north-central Israel. They're going to bring their armies down to Jerusalem, and there Jesus is going to enter into battle with them on behalf of Israel. So just an amazing time, but it's at the very end, it's at the summation, the conclusion of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, which is this, this day of the Lord, this great and terrible time that we've been studying and will continue to study in our um, future programs here um, at Exploring Bible Prophecy. So what we're going to do is stop right here and we'll get into Ezekiel in our next program, but we're now going to transition over into our Q&A and we're going to uh, start concluding our look at the uh, manifestation of the Holy War of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, compared to the Church Age, which is what we're in right now, and then compared to the Tribulation period, which is what the real question 
from Rich and Indian Springs brought up uh, a number of programs before. And as we've kind of joked several times, we've turned this Q&A from Rich into a mini teaching series. But uh, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit will function during the tribulation the same way that he functioned during the Old Testament. That is, that he would come on, but would, but would also leave people if they turn from righteousness to iniquity, to be practicers of sin and iniquity, he would turn, he would leave them. And the proof text that we had to show how that will be the functioning of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation, as it was in the Old Testament, is from the one of the eight parables that we find in the Olivet Discourse, which is the um, discourse or the discussion that Jesus gave to a handful of the apostles starting in Matthew 24 and going through all of Matthew 25. It was one talk to one group of people to answer a couple of questions about what will, be the, what will the end be like? What will the tribulation be like in your coming? And that's exactly what he talks about. He goes into great detail about the tribulation And then he goes uh, into detail with eight parables uh, that takes you through the end of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25, eight parables directed to Israel, those who will be living during the tribulation, which is in, he's answering their question, what it'll be like at that time. He says there's eight parables that he gives about being ready being righteous, maintain your righteousness to the end of the tribulation so that you can be saved, just as it would have been in the Old Testament. And you'll remember we went to Ezekiel, uh, for those of you that may be joining us um, and, and did not pick up a lot of this in the beginning, Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 11 through 13, described how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. And, of course, we went to a number of other scriptures that we certainly don't have time to go back and review now. But there were a number of scriptures to show how the Holy Spirit worked. And that is the same way he works in the tribulation period. And those who maintain their righteousness to the end would be saved. So coming out of the tribulation, the Lord has done his judging at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and there are people who are going to be judged as righteous and will be resurrected and given glorified bodies. And that's really what we're talking about. Um, People who will be judged as righteous who died in the Old Testament, which is before the church, and had died in their righteousness, and those who died in their righteousness during the tribulation would all be resurrected and would receive their glorified bodies. And we were going to go to the book of Daniel, and uh, if you were with us at the first part of this program, we were in Daniel as part of our teaching about the um, the day of the Lord, and in Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter of Daniel in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, in looking at verses 1 and 2, it says, now at that time, and this whole passage in Daniel, the, the, the latter chapters of Daniel, are all talking about the tribulation and the second coming of the Lord. The tribulation and the second coming of the Lord has nothing to do with the church. Um, so again, starting at Daniel chapter 12, now at that time, and at that time, 
is the end of the tribulation, the time of judgment. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. So this is the archangel Michael that we read about in Revelation and other places. He is the archangel that is, if you will, assigned to Israel. Nations have angels, and we see that from Daniel chapter 10. We see the evil angel over the Persian Empire, the evil angel over the Greek Empire, and now we have a situation here with Michael, only in a positive sense, being the great prince, the archangel, who stands guard over the sons of your people. And of course, we know from Daniel that your people means Israel. And it says at that time, Michael will arise and there will be a time of distress, a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So he's talking about this horrible seven-year tribulation period. Continuing on in verse 1, And at that time your people, who were they? Israel. At that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And of course, we know that's the book of the righteous people. Those who are found written in the book will be rescued. In other words, this is yet future to these people. So these are people who are going to be um, resurrected out of their graves. And in verse 2, many of those who sleep, so that means they're dead, but they're dead in Christ, they're dead in their faith, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. So these are people who are, and when we receive everlasting life, that's your glorified body. So it's basically talking about these Old Testament people who maintained their faith until they died. These are the people who will be resurrected and will be given a glorified body and have everlasting life. And then the rest of that verse actually applies to those who are going to be resurrected, but they're going to be resurrected to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And that is a description of what's called the great white throne judgment, when all the unbelievers who died in disgrace and in unbelief, they will receive everlasting contempt when they are judged at the great white throne and it'll be a judgment just of unbelievers, and they will all be thrown into the lake of fire, which is everlasting separation from God uh, in, in basically in torment. It's a terrible time, and it's going to be a time of eternity uh, forever that they're going to be living in that horrible condition. So um, <laughs> that is one of those situations, those those phrases, if you will, of the great, uh, the great white throne and the lake of fire that you wish everybody would hear and understand because it's definitely something that you want to avoid uh, at the penalty of eternal separation from God. But these are the people who maintain their righteousness all the way to the end of their life and died, and now they're going to be resurrected, and they're going to be rewarded for maintaining their righteousness in the Old Testament. And the same thing is going to be true for those in the um, New Testament as well. Um, and we want to go to, to um, 
Revelation chapter 20, and we will do that in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.